0: Well, as we continue to worship through the preaching of God's Word, I invite you to turn to Jonah chapter 1, verses 4 through 6, which is where we will spend our time this morning. It's found on page 726 in the Chair Bible, if you are using that. And as you turn to Jonah chapter 1, verses 4 through 6, let us turn to the Lord in a word of prayer as we declare our dependency on Him in all things. Let us pray together. Father, we do pray for Your grace this morning. We pray that Your Spirit would attend to the things that we see in Your Word, that it would bring about conviction of hearts where there needs to be conviction, that it would bring about encouragement and grace where there needs to be encouragement. Father, ultimately, that it would bring about a clear picture of Your heart and Your mind, As we think about the Scripture and how it reveals to us your character and your works, Father, we pray that as we see it, that it would be for us a beacon of hope. That as we see your love and mercy to those who do not deserve it, that we would see our very selves in those who are in need of a God who extends abundance and mercy. And so, Father, would you be here this morning and would you reveal to us your holy will even to ourselves as we seek and desire to do it. We're so thankful for your promises and that you have promised to never leave us nor forsake us and so we trust and believe that you are here now. We're thankful for it. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Well, the last time we were together, we began to look at the account of Jonah and how through this prophet's life, God demonstrates his outrageous mercy. We saw God's intent to extend that mercy through the prophet Jonah to the Ninevites. We also saw that in the midst of Jonah's disobedience, that God is still seeking to show him mercy and grace. And what we find here, beginning in verse 4 of chapter 1, is that this outrageous mercy begins to manifest itself in outrageous encounters with the Creator. Of the universe through outrageous events. Now, every event is true and historical. It really happened. Some of those events will be harder to believe than others. But what we have before us is a real historical account of God's journey with this stubborn prophets. These outrageous events begin with God's sovereign hand in the wind. We see that in our passage morning, as we see in Jonah chapter 1, verses 4 through 6, God's mercy in the wind. Read it together with me, beloved, beginning in verse 4, says this, But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. And there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came to him and said, What do you mean, O sleeper? Arise, call out to your God, perhaps the God will give us a thought and we will not now, in these first few verses of this first chapter of the book of Jonah, we are introduced to group of mariners, or what I will call, through the remainder of this sermon, sailors. And sailors are going to occupy, essentially, the rest of the first chapter of the book of Jonah. You see, beloved, these sailors are not merely bystanders, to this story, They are a much a part of the story of Jonah, as Jonah or Nineveh. They take up almost a quarter of the whole account. You see, the sailors in this account may seem like an aside, but they are not. This whole interchange may seem like a throwaway, but it is not. It is a clear demonstration of God's heart for the nations. Are these sailors disposable? Absolutely not. And God even is going to use the disobedience of Jonah to bring even these pagan sailors to an end to themselves and what seems to be later in this passage a saving knowledge of God's plan of salvation. And isn't that just how God works? God takes the disobedience of this prophet and uses it for the salvation of these sailors. We're going to see more on this later. In verses 4 through 6, we see God use the disobedience of this rebellious prophet to bring about the salvation of these sailors. God uses the wind as as a rebuke to the prophet Jonah. But he also uses it to carry away all the confidences of these soldiers so that they might trust in him and him alone. So let us unpack this. This morning, so that we can see God's mercy to Jonah and to these sailors, and then by extension to us in the winds. The first thing we see, if you're following along in your, passage, in your bulletin insert, is God's sovereign love. God's sovereign love. Now, remember, we talked about this a few weeks ago. What we find in Jonah is that God is referred over and over and over again by his covenant name, which shows that God is sovereign creator of the universe, but that he is also covenant keeper. God controls and created the world, but he controls it in a way that shows his desire to be with and in the world he created. Not as another created being, but as a loving creator who is concerned about and cares for the flourishing of that creation. This is Yahweh. And we see that Yahweh is referred to again in verse 4. Notice it with me, Jonah chapter 1 verse 4. It says, but the Lord, that is Yahweh, hurled a great wind upon the sea. Now the play between God's sovereignty and God's love in this passage is abundantly evident. We see the Lord, the one who has great power and authority over creation, is directing His creation for the ends of His loving and merciful purposes. Read that verse again just for the impact of it. Jonah chapter 1, verse 4 says, But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. I love that word hurled. It means to throw a great distance or to cast to the ground. And it perfectly describes what is happening in passage. God sits enthroned above the heavens, and from there He throws a wind from the storehouse with perfect precision to hit the exact place In which he intends. And that place is the sea where this ship is found. You see, God, as the creator of the universe, is certainly able to stir up the winds and the waves. We see this in a passage like Psalm chapter 135, verses 5 through 7. You can find it on the insert in your bulletin. Psalm verse. Ch- chapter one thirty five verses five through seven it says this: For I know that the Lord is great, and that our Lord is above all gods. Whatever the Lord pleases, He does in heaven and on earth, in the seas and all the deeps. He it is who makes the clouds rise at the end of the earth, who makes lightnings for the rain and brings forth the wind from his storehouses. You see, the Lord is great and mighty, and he exercises his ability over creation, and yet he is also covenant keeper. And so he uses the wind and the waves for his good pleasure. In this passage, God is directly affecting the created order. But he does so in a way that demonstrates his love for Jonah as well as for these sailors. Notice this loving purpose again at the beginning of verse 3, I'm sorry, the beginning of verse 4 in Jonah chapter 1 in the conjunction but... Notice it, Jonah 1 verse 4 says, but the Lord. Now listen, you probably know me by now, and if you know me well enough, you know that I love conjunctions. And if there is one conjunction in my mind that stands out from every other conjunction, it's this conjunction but, or however, at the beginning of verse 3. In God's holy and inspired Word, it often shows divine contrast. It shows the difference between the works of men and the work of God. It shows the distinction between the fallen nature of mankind and the excellent nature of God through the person and work of Jesus Christ. You see, Jonah is not the only place where we see this divine conjunction. We also see it in the person and work of Jesus Christ and God's plan for redemption. You see, in Christ and the cross, God's loving hand, hear this, God's loving hand took a disaster and turned it into a decisive victory. He used the evil intentions and disobedience of men and showed His power and glory to accomplish spiritual victory from spiritual death. We notice this in a passage like Acts chapter 13 verse 29. Again, is found on the insert in your bulletin. Acts chapter 13 verse 29 says this, And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb, but God, but God raised him from the dead. We see this again in a passage like Ephesians chapter two, verses one and five says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, but God being rich in mercy. And because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. You see, God's redeeming mercy is demonstrated in the destruction. God takes the most vile act of all history, that is the crucifixion of the righteous one, the very Son of God, Jesus Christ Himself, and turns it into salvation from destruction. He takes death and releases us from death, through death, in the person of Jesus Christ. You see, you crucified Him but God raised him up. You see, you were dead, but God made you alive through the person and work of Jesus Christ. And He's calling you this morning to trust in His gracious and unrivaled plan for your salvation. So trust in Him. And we see this kind of redeeming mercy in the book of Jonah. That mercy that doesn't forsake Jonah in his disobedience, but comes alongside of him and brings about these extraordinary circumstances in order to draw to himself. Notice in verse 3 into 4, as we see this connection between Jonah's disobedience and the love of the Lord. Read it with me. Jonah chapter 1, verse 3 says this, And Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down in it to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. But... But... Ya, you see, Jonah was content to flee from the presence of God, but God was not content to let him leave. And as much as God and Jesus the world to rebels, so God sends a great wind to apply pressure to this obstinate and wayward prophet. You see, is found in the wind in this passage. God's mercy is found in the wind. The wind might not be pleasant, and it certainly isn't, as we will find. It may break up our vessels of security and safety, but the intent of the wind is to bring us to an end of ourselves. So that we might find salvation in God and God alone, and so God applies the pressure of the wind to this chi- to the ship, and God doesn't just apply pressure, but He opens up the storehouses of heaven to impose upon this ship the power of His might and His. All of the language in this passage is intended to communicate to us that this is no mere sprinkling, but a proper hurricane. Notice all the superlatives that we find in verse 4. It says this, But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, And there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship threatened to break up. Now, not many of us are sailors in this room. I say we may not have any sailors in this room, but I wonder if you can picture in your mind's eye the strength of this storm. The winds hurling, the ship's sails ripped and tattered. By the violence, the waves bashing up against the sides of the ship, water spilling over onto the deck, the sound of splintering and cracking wood, the force of the waves. What we find here in Jonah chapter 1 verse 4 is an awesome display of the power and authority of God. And these experienced sailors are deathly afraid. This isn't an ordinary storm. This is a serious flashing from a deity on high. Even they can see that. And so what the sailors do is they turn to their own devices and their own power in order to confront this storm. The second thing that we see in this passage, if you are following along, the bulletin in your insert, not only do we see God's sovereign love, but we also see man's futile measures. Man's futile measures. See it with me in verse 5. Jonah chapter 1, verse 5 says this, then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. These sailors are terrified. It shows the strength and the power of the storm. And so they turn to the only thing that they know, their God's. And their reason. One commentary on this passage, you can find it on the insert in your bulletin, says this. The ancient Near East religious environment included devotion to a multitude of protecting spirits, patron deities, lower echelon gods and goddesses, and senior members of the pantheon which gave rise to an extremely confusing situation. Perhaps the sailors felt that they had not reached their god or had gone through the wrong channels to contact their particular patron deity. Thus, they also begin to throw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. You can almost picture the frayed sailors going down through the list praying to this God and to that God, to the God of the sea and the God of the weather and the God of sailors. And when this failed, they began to throw their precious cargo overboard. This action itself may have been an offering to the gods in order to appease their wrath. But practically speaking, it would have lessened the load on the ship so that they would not have taken on so much water. But it seems that nothing will help. All of their efforts are futile. Nothing these men could do could appease the justice and judgment of God Almighty. And so, get this, They turned to a man asleep in the bow of the ship. Notice it in Jonah chapter 1, verse 5 through 6. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean? What are you doing, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. The sailors had exhausted all of their options. Their gods were not coming to their rescue. They could not shed enough cargo to save the ship. And so they turned to this stranger in the bottom of the boat... So that maybe, just maybe, if he called out to his God, he might find safety and relief from the onslaught of the storm. Now, I think this encounter, that in this encounter, we see two very important realities. The first theme is an obvious allusion to another encounter that we find in the scripture. You see, this isn't the only place we see trained and experienced sailors in a boat in the midst of a frightful storm. Turn with me, if you would, to Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8, which is found on page 813 in your chair Bible. Keep your finger, finger in Jonah chapter 1. And turn over to Luke chapter 8, verse 22. It says this One day he got into a boat with his disciples, and he said to them, Let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out. And as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake. And they were filling with water and were in danger. And they went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased, and there was a calm. And he said to them, Where is your faith? And they were afraid, and they marveled, saying to one another, Who then is this that he commands even winds and water? And they obey him. I wonder if the disciples here had this story of Jonah in their minds. Surely it would seem that the signs given to the prophet Jonah are manifold. Not merely does Jonah's time in the belly of a whale point to Christ, but there are a number of things in this book that point to Christ. And the more I study it, the more I see an overwhelming amount of allusions to Jesus and his work. Now there is a deep difference between Jonah chapter 1 verses 5 through 6 and Luke chapter 8 verses 22 through 25. Jonah is asked to plead with his God to spare the lives of the sailors. Jesus is God, and therefore he can quell the storm by his own word and authority. Jonah is a man asleep in the bottom of the boat, tired out because he is running from God's work and God's will. Jesus is a man asleep in the boat, tired out by Constantly working for God and being right smack dab in the middle of God's will. Jonah is a prophet. Jesus is the prophet. Jonah is not the hero of the story, Jesus is. And He is calling out to us this morning to give ourselves over to His faithful and trustworthy hand in faith. He is calling each one of us to believe that He is good and able and that He is using the turmoil in our own lives for His good and His glory. He is calling us to believe it so deeply that our lives and our actions are transformed. Our trust in him. You see, brothers and sisters, recounting the life of Jonah, hear this, recounting the life of Jonah is not the ultimate goal of the book of Jonah. Pointing to and magnifying Jesus Christ is the ultimate goal of not only this book, but of all of history. The point of Jonah is always that Jesus is better. And He is calling you to trust in Him this morning. In the midst of the storms in your life, trust in Christ. For His sovereign love is directing all of your trials towards your good and His glory. We see this in a passage like Romans chapter 8, if you want to jot it down. Romans chapter 8, verses 31 through 39. But you see, there's another significant event that takes place in this passage. Notice with me, if you would, the interaction with the captain of the ship. Notice it with me in Jonah chapter 1, verse 5. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and lay down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What are you doing, you sleeper? Arise! Call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may perish. What we find here is that although the storm is raging on the outside, Jonah is asleep in the bottom of the boat. The text seems to indicate here that he is in a deep stupor. Now I know that this is a literal stupor and that Jonah is probably exhausted from his journey to the rocking of the boat has probably caused this novel sailor to fall into deep slumber. So, has to be saying something about the state of Jonah's soul at this point. Not only is Jonah physically incoherent here, but his spirit is comatose, well. And God is trying to wake him up from his spiritual apathy. And so God sends a storm and a pagan sailor to call out. You see, not only the storm is intended to wake Jonah, but also the captain cries out to Jonah from the bottom of the boat. Notice the words of the captain in verse 6. Now they're found in the imperative, which means that these are commands. The captain of this ship commands Jonah, What are you doing, sleeper? Arise. Call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought of us that we may not perish. Now, do those words sound awfully familiar to you? They should. They mimic the very command of God at the beginning of this account. Jump back up to Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. Where the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. Now, doesn't it seem ironic that the captain of the ship is commanding Jonah to arise and call out to his God so that they might be saved in the same fashion as God commanded Jonah? To arise and call out to Nineveh so that they might be saved. Beloved, it isn't ironic. It is the mighty hand of God speaking through this pagan sailor to call Jonah to repentance. It isn't a coincidence that the command of the captain echoes the command of Yahweh so closely. God is using the captain to call Jonah out of his spiritual stupor so that he might draw him back into a relationship with himself. Beloved, if God can rebuke a prophet from the mouth of a donkey He certainly can do so from the mouth of a pagan sailor. And yet Jonah does not listen. Jonah does not come clean, as we will find out next week. Jonah does not turn from his stubborn ways and cry out to his God. No, Jonah remains silent. You see, God has more in store for this prophet, and He has more in store for us. So then, what are we to take from all of this? Beloved, understand that God is in every circumstance. God is in every circumstance. God is in the wind. God is in the waves. God is in the mouth of sailors. God is directing all of the affairs of men and creation to accomplish His his purposes for you and for me. And the question that we must ask ourselves this morning is are we listening? Are we aware of what God is doing around us? Now this is not to take away from the clear commands of Scripture. God does not give us contrary counsel in our circumstances from a clear understanding of His Word. God's Word is always a better instructor than our circumstances. And in a world that is bent on emotionalism and signs, we need to hear that. We need to hear that our circumstances never trump the revealed will of God. But we must also not dismiss that often God works in the hurling of a storm or the breaking of a ship even the casting of lots, which we will find out next week. God is at work around us, and He is calling us to recognize His sovereign love, our future efforts, and the salvation that is found only in His Son, Jesus Christ. Would you trust in Him this morning? Let us pray together for your grace towards us we're so thankful for this truth that's revealed to us from the prophet jonah we're so thankful that we can learn even about our own circumstances around us even about your word as it declares to your will father may you to teach us father may we do working in all things Father, would you give us insight into your will for our lives, first from your word, but also through the things that happen around us. Father, I'm thankful that you are a God who has not wound up your creation and then stepped back, but that you are a God who is intimately involved with every single account that happens around us. All things are directed by What a comfort that is for us this morning. We're so thankful for it, and we pray this.